Hi, and welcome to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. In this episode, I talk with my friend, Hannah LaSorsa, about how we met and became friends amid the dark days of the COVID-19 pandemic. We also talk about coping with differences in values and opinions with people we love, dealing with grief and life challenges, our shared love of reading and writing, and Hannah's advice for anyone looking to start their own creative business, among other things. Hannah and I have known each other since early 2020, and we've always been able to connect on lots of different topics, unafraid to dive right in and go deep. I hope you enjoy our conversation and can relate to some of the topics we cover. Here we go. How are the kiddos at school? How are they doing? Yeah, of course. They're good. Oh my God. They're talking so much. Like literally just in the past two weeks, they're both just like full senses jabbering nonstop. Oh my God. I'm so um, excited to see them. Yeah. And they, oh, I know they, um, especially Winslow will like say things that were like, where did you hear that? Where did you learn that? Like what'd she say last night? She, I was like taking her up to bed and I was like, Winslow, do you want some more juice? And she was like, no, I have plenty. I was like, where did you learn the word plenty? <laughs> what? Must be school. Like maybe a snack time or something. I have plenty. Yes. I'm like, I don't know if they plenty. Like I would say like, no, I'm good or no, yeah. I have enough. But yeah, she goes, I have no, enough. I have yeah. plenty. Oh. Yeah. Are they potty trained or like peas and poops or both or none? No. no. Winslow does it occasionally. Like we have a little potty and she does it occasionally. Just like when she gets a wild hair, she's like, oh, yeah, I think I'll go use the toilet. Uh-huh. Alder's never done it. He has no interest. But <laughs> I always thought two was kind of the age for people to like start training their kids. And the more I talk to people about it, the more it's like actually age three. So I think as a parent, you get in your head about like, OK, when is my child going to be potty trained? And like, does it say something about me or about them if if they're like elite potty trainee, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter. My little brother, Thomas, like if he would like probably not want me to tell this story, but I'm going to anyway, because it's hilarious. We, he like for a really long time, like he learned how to go poop on the toilet, but he would ha- always have to call my mom in to like actually wipe his butt. And yes. my mom like did it for a long time. Like honestly, probably a little too long. Like she really like entertained it for a really long time. And so Thomas' nickname for like years, we called him CW can't wipe okay so that's really funny um so my sister she was the same way (laughs) she didn't get a nickname but yeah like uh she was probably like five or six when my mom was still wiping her and so she would go poop and then she would bend over and put her head between her knees and grab her ankle ankles and scream mom come wipe me (laughs) She's gonna kill me. And so I remember, or I don't remember actually, I just know from stories that when she was um when it was time for her to go to kindergarten, my mom was like, You're gonna have to start wiping yourself because your teacher's not gonna wipe you at school. And I don't remember like mm-hmm. how that ended up or anything, but yeah, mom, <laughs> so wipe funny. me. And it's yeah. funny that her moms did that until they were like five, six years old. Like, I don't know that I would go that yeah. long. I think I'd be like, you get maybe, a, maybe a year max, probably six yeah. months. And then I'm going to be like, get that, get that little hand around me. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. So I am a friend of Morgan's. We've known each other for about three years now. 
And we met in Lawrence. I used to live in Lawrence, born and raised in Kansas, recently moved cross country to Pennsylvania. And I'm a writer and a photographer. That's how I make my living. And then I'm also just really passionate about herbs and nature and gardening and spending time outside. In 2019, in the late summer, early fall, I was in Costa Rica doing my solo trip amid a like mental breakdown. Great idea. Don't recommend it. Um, and I was sitting out like I, I can picture myself. I was sitting at this little outdoor cafe in Arenal and looking for, I was kind of like flying by the seat of my pants, didn't really have a plan. And the plans I did had did have kind of fell through. So I was like looking for somewhere to stay. And I was looking up um, like yoga retreats and like all kinds of different things. And I came across this Instagram post from, um, you'll have to tell me what it was called, Hannah, if you remember. You remember? It was La Cusina Eco Lodge down in like Point Ovita, I think, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, Mm -hmm. oh, that's right. Because we were talking about going there. Um, And so I came across this post that they had shared um, and they had you tagged and uh, it must have said in the post or something that you were from Kansas. I don't know. So anyway, I ended up on your page. I was like, this girl's from Kansas and she was just here in Costa Rica and then like kind of looked at your page and um, realized that we were into a lot of the same things. And I was like, oh, and she lives in Lawrence. Like we're neighbors. (laughs) Like what are the chances of that? I know. So I followed you and then... um, Sounds. I feel like this whole thing sounds so creepy on my part, but um, and then got back home and Hannah had shared, um, you had shared um, about an herb club that you were starting, and I was like, at the time, I was just learning about herbs, and so I was like super into it, and uh, I was like, this sounds awesome, and I need friends. <laughs> I hadn't lived in Lawrence in the Lawrence area that long, and so I just went to Hannah's herb club meeting. And then I remember going to your house and it, it she lives in, she lived in like this little century old, like cottagey house in North Lawrence. And she opened the door and I was like, this girl is so cool. Like that was just my first thought. I was like, oh my God, like she, her house is like cool and cozy and she's so welcoming and warm. And um, I actually kind of had like a little panic attack in the middle of that first meeting. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and almost like I had the urge to get up and leave. And it wasn't because of anything anybody did. I just was going through like a period of very high anxiety, but I am so glad that I stayed. And then um, a few weeks later, or I don't know the timeline, maybe it was a few months. No, it was a few weeks. Um, I asked Hannah to do a photo shoot for me. So she and her husband, Jake modeled for me. Um, we went like an hour and a half away from home to do this photo shoot in the Flint Hills and, um, kind of hit it off. And then a while later, Hannah (laughs) was over at my house. I think this was like once the pandemic had started and uh, we were hanging out, like we were the only, we were like the only ones hanging out with each other. Like we were... I wasn't seeing anybody else at the time. And she was like, you came by for something to, or to drop something off. And you're like, I really like you. I think I think we should be friends. And I was like, that's so cool of <laughs> her to just like be so forward. So what do you remember of like when we first met? 
I love hearing, hearing that and like remembering those days. So I remember I did the herb group and I remember you coming, but I was hosting like a lot of people and I didn't know them all very well. And so my attention was really like pulled between mm-hmm. everyone. And so I remember liking you, but like, I don't know. I'm so glad that you reached back out about doing that photo shoot because when we then got back together a couple weeks later and did that photo shoot, that was when I feel like I really got to like see you like and get to know you. I think you were like really in your comfort zone because, you know, you were you had your camera, you're this amazing photographer and you were like giving us instructions and making it really fun and you were really lighthearted and I just remember thinking you are so cool I was like this lady is awesome like she's just really fun to be around she's making us so comfortable like I really really liked you and I remember getting in the car afterwards and driving home and I was like Jake I want to be friends with (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny um Well, I think too, like there, that's interesting to hear your perspective on that because I think at the herb club meeting, I was probably really quiet because I was super in my head and like anxious. And then because I, you know, at that point and like, you know, still today, like have been practiced with photography for a while now, I'm pretty comfortable with it. And so I just like, like you said, was kind of in my element. So I was able to come out of my shell a little bit. And um, also strangely, I think at the herb club meeting, I didn't, I wasn't, or I didn't know that I was pregnant yet. And then by the time we did the photo shoot, I did know I was pregnant. And there was like a huge shift within me, like my confidence level getting pregnant for some reason. Like I just felt like very in my element. And so like my whole pregnancy, I, my mental health was really good. And so it it was like this dramatic shift between before I was pregnant and then like shortly before I was pregnant and then being pregnant. So that also came to mind, but yeah. No. And I I think it's a good like estimate sometimes to, um, you know, hang out with someone like more than once, you know, like if we would have just hung out that one time and I I wouldn't have had a chance to get to know you more, you know, and people like a lot of times, I think that first time you meet people, a lot of people do have social anxiety. And social anxiety can come across in so many different ways. It can make you seem, you know, shyer or sometimes bitchy. Like, (laughs) I mean, like you did not come across that way. I'm not saying that about you, but I have had instances in the past where I've felt like someone was really kind of cold or bitchy and then realized later, like, oh God, they were just like, they're shy or they're Mm -hmm. nervous. They're in their heads. Yeah. And like, you don't really get to know that about someone unless you give them like maybe two, three chances you know, kind of loosen up a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of making friends as adults, you know, in college or like where you're around the same people all the time. And I think it's particularly interesting because each of us work from home. And so we don't have like a set group of people that we're around regularly like you do, you know, when you're in high school or in college or um, in a job where you work with people in person. So I know that's something that you and I have both like experienced kind of that strange situation of wanting to make friends, but also being like, you kind of have to get creative with it when you're not Mm -hmm. like necessarily around people every day. And also, I think as an adult, it's just kind of, I think it's a little hard as an adult to make friends. Like something about when you're younger, you know, you're just, you're around more people and you're just, you know, that's just kind of the 
I was personally more social when I was younger too. Like I've gotten more and more antisocial or like more of a homebody the older I get. Um, so I'm just not in those situations as much. But, you know, one thing that it's that I think it's kind of taught me is to like really pay attention now when you meet someone who you do feel like you really connect with and resonate with. And that's why I was so open with you. I think it's really rare to come across someone who you have like that quick and instantaneous like spark with, you know, Mm -hmm. like friendship, platonic or not, you know, like anytime your soul comes across with like another soul and feels that like kinship, you know, like that's super cool. It doesn't happen very often. I think we all probably experience that. And I think it's like probably every couple of years. It's definitely not like on a regular Regular basis. basis, Yeah. No. And I'm just super, I'm super grateful that you went out on a limb and were like, Hey, I like you. And I want to be friends with you because at that point, I would never have done that. I would have just been too nervous of being like, like rejected. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, I guess like thinking about it realistically, like, well, I don't know. I mean, you can be rejected without someone straight up being like, no, thanks. (laughs) I don't want to be be ghosted for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. And then they just blow you off a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that I thought and I still think that was really brave of you. And I'm glad that you did. I mean, I feel like a lot of my friendships from high school and college were kind of built on shallow things like, you know, college, we were in the same part partying for sure. Or, you know, like I in high school, I was like such a brat in the sense that I like just wanted to be cool. Kind of like, who are the cool kids? <laughs> who's, who's popular? Let's be friends with the popular kids. I want to be a popular kid, you know, like, but yep. there's really like, no, who were we on a deeper level? What did we have in common beyond like getting drunk on the weekends? <laughs> you know, not a lot. And that's why I'm st- not, you know, in touch with a lot of those people anymore. Cause you know, I've changed, they've changed, we've grown up and we've moved on and I'm sure they're great people. It's nothing against them. Just the times in our lives when we connected versus where we're, all at now is really different. I feel like though, one of the reasons you and I have developed a deeper friendship pretty quickly was because when we met, it was like, what, like February, 2020, Mm -hmm. we met, we had herb club, we took those photos and then COVID hit Mm -hmm. and you were pregnant with twins. You gave birth like shortly after. And so Mm -hmm. it was so many of these really big life circumstances that we got thrown into. And I remember where you and I really bonded was during COVID, there was so much um, like political unrest and so many people, everyone was so up in arms and they were so angry. And Mm. I remember there was this big uh, bubbling up of Black Lives Matter right around the same time. And you and I were both really interested in examining our own ingrained like racial ideas and thoughts and what had we been, you know, like born with and, and raised and weren't even aware of. Mm-hmm. And um there, there weren't a lot of other people that I could have those conversations with and feel like like um understood and seen and not judged and like we could work yeah. on it together. And um that's like heavy work <laughs> to yeah. do. You know, and you have to be vulnerable with someone, you have to be honest and you have to feel really seen and heard. So I, I think the fact that we connected on that deeper level and we were on the same page about vaccines and masking and you know so many things right out the gate like I don't know I think it helped us develop a deeper a deeper friendship really quickly yeah yeah I think I felt like very connected to you because I 
like the word that comes to mind is relieved, like relieved that I had met somebody who is on the same page with me as so many things, because there were a lot of people in my life who were not at all on the same page with me. And that was very like disorienting and, you know, kind of made it feel like the ground beneath your feet was shifting. And it's just like, what? Like, you know, kind of, wait, this is not what I thought it was. Like, you know, this person thinks way differently than I thought they did. Like, whoa. And so it was like very comforting and a huge relief to like have somebody in my life. Um, and Corey, you know, Corey too, you and Corey, my husband, uh, who I could openly talk with about things and know that I wasn't going to be like ridiculed or judged. And, um, kind of like you said, work through things that were really big issues, you know, big things that we definitely had a part in just by virtue of being white women in America. You know, if you want to talk about the racial Mm -hmm. stuff, um, but then also with the COVID stuff, there was so much unknown and um, it was just a time where there was a lot of unknowns, like it was a scary time for everybody. So it felt like very safe and reassuring to have people like you who I could talk with and like get together with safely and not have to worry about, Mm -hmm. you know, are we violating each other's boundaries by getting together? Like, right. Like you said, like the masking and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, you and I also, I felt like we kind of are dealing with a lot of the same stuff and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but like you and I are both, you know, pretty liberal people who, and then we come from families that are really conservative. And so we were, both yeah and, and you know in general I mean, there's people here and there who aren't but in general so approaching those relationships and navigating those waters <laughs> amongst all that was it was difficult and sometimes you know disappointing and hard but even you still love those people and so coming you know balancing the love with the confusion and and sometimes disappointment was really yeah. a challenge I think for a lot of people during yeah. COVID and um yeah. yeah having someone who totally got it was like I totally get it I'm going through that with you too yeah. was so nice mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was a huge um like life raft really yeah I was so. gonna say that earlier it's funny you used that it's how it felt yeah, I don't know why that totally. popped in my head that's not a word I normally use <laughs> uh-huh. that's totally how it felt though we we're like at sea at this crazy yeah. crazy time like how kind of grabbed onto each other <laughs> So the height of the COVID era has now passed. Um, Have things, how do you feel like things have improved in your life or changed since that time when everything was really like ground shifting all the time? In some ways, it helped, it helped me draw, it helped me draw boundaries and get comfortable drawing boundaries, which was, yeah, really, really supportive. I, I, I'm a very like, people pleasing type person in Me general. Too. So mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely someone who's gonna, you know, in the past, I would let people getting away with, get away with things that internally I'm thinking, oh God, that was a You're like betraying yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't speak up. I wouldn't call them out about it. Um, and now I, I do think after going through a lot of that um, and just gaining more awareness around certain issues, I'm more likely to challenge other people. Um, but my also, you know, also my fa- within my family dynamic, we've kind of decided in general not to get as political at family gatherings too. You know, mm-hmm. also if someone does go there, 
they know I'm more likely to challenge them, but we're also trying to focus more on what we have in common and the fact that we love each other and that we support each other. And, um, you know, yeah, just kind of, you know, raising the new little ones, spending time with my niece, you know, all focusing on some of the positives a little Mm -hmm. bit more and not coming together for a big family gathering and immediately launching into, you know, polar, polar opposites and just leaving frustrated and angry with each other. Yeah. I feel like that's a very hard learned and hard earned skill. Um, And I, I will say for myself, like, I don't know that I even knew what boundaries were before 2020. Truly, like, that sounds so naive, but I didn't have them. And I didn't really have any experience with setting and protecting boundaries. Um, and so it makes me think, of course, of that book um, by Nidra Tawab. Um, what's it called? Set Boundaries, Change Your Life or something like that. I know I got the that author right. right. Yeah. I'm not sure about the title, but... I so I hand a nose. I read that book and like tabbed the shit out of it. Like just had so yeah, many. Yeah, I read it after you. There was like a hundred tabs in it. I was like, I'm gonna know to come back and look at all these. I, I didn't. I didn't. I was just like, you know, maybe. I love it. Yeah. Because literally every page had one. So it's like, okay, that's no longer helpful. But read that book and just had my mind blown and was like, oh my god, like boundaries. This is such an amazing concept. And Hannah was struggling with boundaries at that same time. Um, and so shared that book with her. And I, I think I kind of devoured it and like was like, blah, 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 read it really quick and tabbed every page. And then you kind of like were more methodical with it and like went through it more slowly. But I feel like that book was really helpful. My grandma on my maternal side is a really intelligent woman, an amazing conversationalist, um, just like a really, really cool person. And one technique that she uses a lot and that I really would like to use more and I really admire is that when she gets in difficult conversations with people, she just starts asking them questions Mm -hmm. um, to kind of like go in a little bit deeper to understand more of where they're coming from and why they feel that way. And watching her do that has been really helpful for me. Um, I think it helps the other person not feel like you're just attacking them or, you know, lecturing them lecturing them. And it creates a more like more conversational helps with understanding. Um, and I think you can go to some places that you're just not going to go if you're just lecturing back and forth. Yeah. Actually, I had kind of a full circle moment um, with that a few weeks ago. I I was at our favorite spot, Merchants. Um, yes. And I was by myself. I was going to a story slam um, that night. And so I went and got a drink and like some dinner beforehand. And um, there was this white man sitting next to me, you know, middle-aged white man. And he saw that I was alone and I was actually reading Viola Davis's book. And um, it's her memoir. And he's he's like, huh, reading Viola Davis. I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, I don't know. He said some other things. And then he was like, so what's that about? How hard her life is um, because she's black? And I was like, no. Um, I mean, it's about her, her life and her story. And yes, part of her story is that she's a black woman. And so anyway, it um, devolved into this. I feel like it was like a spar, like a sparring between us. And, and that I've, I've been told that so many times, you know, like, what you just said, it's it doesn't serve really any purpose to like, lecture somebody. 
Um, but asking questions gets them to ask themselves questions and then they're forced to answer. And so it forces them to think more critically about the things that they think they believe. And so this man had some pretty problematic racist views. And so I employed that tactic and just was asking him questions. I was like, okay, so you believe blah, 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 like based on what he said. And several times I got him to go, hmm, I don't know. And like kind of pause and like think about what he had just said. (laughs) I was like shaking and had like all this nervous energy coursing through me because I like it was very triggering the things that he was saying. Yeah. And upsetting. And particularly because two of the women who were working behind the bar were black women. And I knew that they could hear them. You know, I could have used a ton of energy trying to like educate this man or lecture this man. And it wouldn't have gone anywhere. But by asking him questions, he like had to pause and consider the things that he thought he believed. And so who knows, like if he, you know, had any like change of thought or belief or anything like that. But um, at the very least, it got him to like stop and think (laughs) about what he was saying. So yeah, which is huge. Yeah, it was just cool because that was one of the first times where I'd ever like done that and felt like, okay, I I see like the power in that. And like that went well. Um, Yeah. Because before, you know, like you, I would just try to like lecture people and that just doesn't work. It doesn't change people's minds. No, it doesn't. And then it's so hard because I know you and I both really want to be allies to the BIPOC community, to our black friends. Like you, it is a privilege to be able to like not not engage. And so that was such a big balancing factor throughout all of this is like, I, I want to speak up. I want to challenge these people. And I'm deeply offended for so many people on so many people's behalves right now. Mm -hmm. But there's a limited amount of energy that anyone can put into on a day-to-day basis fighting and still also maintaining your life and going to work and raising your children and maintaining your health. And And maintaining those relationships too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like you don't want to just cut them in half. You don't say bye, you know? Cut people Um, out. So... So finding that those techniques, it's it's like now we've figured it out, and so it seems like oh okay, I just ask questions. But I mean, it took a long, it took a lot of work and a lot of of trying and digging and wondering, and you know, it was to to find those those techniques and to find and a think, place where we can try to. I think also like it's important to note like it's not just a tactic. Like you need to be genuinely curious too. Like coming from a a place of like genuine curiosity, you know, not just like, oh, I'm going to show this person yes. by asking them a bunch of questions that they're not going to be able to answer. Right. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has to come from like a genuine place of um, curiosity because I mean, I'll speak for myself. Like I think at different points in my life, I had some problematic views too. It came mostly from a place of like not using critical thought and not like, you know, understanding the impact of the things that I believed and the things that I you know, maybe said. And so I think also like it comes with, you have to be humble too and have some humility and understand that we're all on, we have to meet people where they are and, you know, cancel culture got started in 2020 and that didn't work. It doesn't work to just like cut people out or cancel people for problematic views. You know, I mean, what good does that do? One, it like implodes your own, but then also then nobody learns anything. And what are we here to do if not to learn and do better? So, yeah, no, that's such a good point. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you clarified that. 
hundred percent. Some of the best conversations I've had have been with people who challenged me in a way that was, you know, res- respectful. I felt respected. I felt like mm-hmm. they cared about my answers, mm-hmm. and we walked away being like, okay, you know, we both group. We don't agree on this, <laughs> but I see where you're coming from. I see why you think that way, and you know, and then we can both go our separate ways, and we can still be friends. We can still have love for each other. You know, I think people just something about the past few years has been so polarizing mm-hmm. that people just go from zero to 10 so fast. I feel like that's gotten a little bit better. Like people have a little more tolerance and are kind of meeting each other in the middle a little bit more. Um, personal opinion, I think having a different president in office helps <laughs> that situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I had I before all of this, I had a pretty profound learning experience of my own. Um, this was like 20. 16 or 2017, I was, I had a Spanish tutor um, just to like help me brush up on my Spanish and like, you know, try to maintain it. And um, I was having a conversation with her and I said something about white trash people. And Mm -hmm. she, I used that phrase. I said, oh yeah, so whatever, they're white trash. And she like paused and like very, she wasn't being judgmental. She was being curious and like challenging me. And she said, so do you think you're better than those people who you are calling white trash? And I was like, I like spluttered. I was like, no, uh, well, uh, no. And it like really just that simple question. Do you think you're better than them? Caused me to mm-hmm. stop and think about what I had said. And, um, you know, ultimately like realize that what I said you know, but I think as mm-hmm. white people, we feel like entitled to use it as like dismissive of like lower, lower economic people, white people who are of lower economic status, which is really problematic mm-hmm. if you think about it. And I just didn't think about it until someone was like, hey, um, w- like what? Do you think you're better than them? So yeah, yeah for sure. Like, like years later and you remember that. And, and you oh, remember yeah, I'll never she, forget it. She wasn't. Yeah. You remember she wasn't like mean about it. She wasn't mm-hmm. like being like, don't say in my presence, you know, but like she challenged you to think about it. That, that's a problematic belief that I have, you know, about certain group of people. So, okay. So Hannah, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that your right, job as a writer entails? So I write, um, I own a marketing studio and started off, I went to school for journalism. I've always really loved writing. Um, my dad is a published author. And so I grew up with like the most epic bedtime stories <laughs> ever. And I really give my dad credit for instilling this appreciation for books and stories and the written word. And um, I'm a huge book nerd. I read like a book every other day. Like I'm just, I love reading. And so, you know, I think we all have talents that come more naturally to us than other things. And writing and reading for me has always come more naturally. Um, and so I, I enjoy it for that reason. Cause it's fun to just fun to do stuff you're good at, you know? Yeah. Um, and I now, so in my, in my career, the type of writing that I do is I, I can, I'm a copywriter for herbalism brands. And so I write a lot of herbal articles, blog posts, magazine articles, um, all about how to use herbs for health and wellness. And then I also do as, um, copywriting as part, part of the, the work we offer is like website copy, social media captions, newsletter copy, all that. The written word things that come from helping herbalism brands kind of share what they do and how they work with plants to help people be healthier. 
So I love a lot of things that you just said, but um, particularly about how your dad instilled in you an appreciation for the written word and for reading. Do you feel like as a writer, it's like a prerequisite to be a reader? Oh, that's such a good question. I I feel like you must. I mean, so much of the inspiration that I get is is in writing. And especially too, when it comes to like vocabulary, it has helped me like grow my vocabulary so much. Um, and, And it also just helps you get this like innate understanding for how a well-written piece of work should feel and should flow. And everyone has different writing styles and voices and tones. So, you know, you could be, put your personal spin on anything. But I think if you have a lot of reading experience, if you enjoy reading, it just helps you understand what a polished, finished product should look like and feel like. Mm. You know, it's kind of like a musician, you know, I imagine. Because you get inspiration too, you know, like, I just Being like a, a musician who doesn't listen to music would be like, yeah, <laughs> like what? Yeah. Why? You know, like, don't you love, don't you just love the craft? Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hannah, you have like a really, you have an ability to, I think, pick out what somebody's good at and like be able to explain that to them or like compliment them in a really thoughtful way. So a lot of like what Hannah has told me, about my own writing are things that I have like really taken to heart and keep in mind when I'm creating stuff. Like, for example, I think on our last Zoom call, you told me that you think that my style of writing or that telling stories like from the first person perspective in like a vulnerable way is something that I'm good at. And I remember I said to you, well, yeah, I mean, it's just it's easy. So I don't really value it, basically. And you were like, well, it's easy for you because you're good at it. And that thought had never crossed my mind. You know, I just kind of dismissed it because I was like, well, it's easy. Like, it's not a challenge. Um, And so I think I think you do a good job of recognizing in yourself and in other people where someone's skills and talents are and like capitalizing on those. And I don't mean that in like a money way necessarily, but just, you know, like like extracting that and focusing on it and. I think that's something that I recognize in you because I'm not good at that. Oh, thank you. That's a really nice compliment. That makes me really happy. And I hear what you're saying because one of the things that I've over the past three years as I started off as just a freelancer. And now as my studio has grown, now there's a whole team of us and I've been hiring people and training people and bringing them on. And I'm learning that one of the things I really, really enjoy about where my business is at now is kind of like what you just said, like bringing people in, getting them up and running, seeing where they shine, and then kind of finessing their responsibilities or fine tuning things a little bit based on where you can kind of see their, their brain really gets it. And I think it's important. Which is a good leader. That's a real, that's like a hallmark to think of a really good leader, you know, to be like the ultimate, you know, to be able to like, that makes people happy, right? When they're, one, when they're like recognized for the work that they do. And two, when somebody is able to see, because I don't think we're always able to see or like recognize what the things that we're good at. So having somebody else be like, hey, you're really good at this and you should do more Mm -hmm. of this, I feel like is a really good quality in a leader, which you are in your company. Thank you. And I, I feel like people in general have a tendency to 
undervalue the things that come naturally to them. Yeah. You know, like, oh, this is really easy to me. So I'm, it's you know, just fun. It's just my, yeah, like, well, it's whatever. I'll dismiss it. And then I'm going to, you know, work on these things that come that are really hard for me. Yeah, but we I, make I ourselves really, miserable. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, well, that's so much more work, first of all. And yeah. I, I also, I just think that usually when you're good at something, when you not always, definitely not always, but oftentimes the things that come easy and naturally to you are things that you have kind of an innate talent in and innate skill set in. And I wish in general people, yeah, would pay more attention to that. You know, like what what's easy for me? Yeah, not dismiss the things that we're good at just because they're easy for us. Which is like, why? Yeah, it doesn't do mean they're not. It doesn't mean they're not valuable. Yeah, I know it's and, so and weird. It's not easy, and just because it's easy for you doesn't mean it's easy for other people. Like, yeah. you know, you were ta- we were talking, and like you mentioned earlier, I think you're so good at being vulnerable and open in your blog post and in your social media captions, talking about so many things. Like, you're, I, I um really appreciate it when you talk about your background up with, with cystic fibrosis. I've told you before, I like cry when we talk about it because I just, I just, I'm like, I can't believe the difference that trifecta has made in your life. Trifecta, sorry. Um, what's trifecta? Is that another, is that something else? It's just a word. Like it's, <laughs> of course, like the pharmaceutical company always gives their medications like made up words trichafta is just a made up word but then tri- trifecta is like a three this sounds weird but like a threesome right like oh that's like the power that. of okay, three yeah, things yeah. which yes, it is yes. it is a trifecta because it is made up of three different drugs so it is a oh. trifecta but they just decided to call it trichafta okay just make it a little <laughs> bit more difficult on yes yes <laughs> okay okay cool but uh, no, when you when you open up and talk about that, I mean, I just think that story is is really touching. I can't believe what you all, have, so many of you have gone through, the change that your life took from the pathway that you know so many of you were on before, and then hearing even like your first podcast that you did, Gunner, yeah, even Gunner's conversation that was amazing. So, like for example, you know when you when you are really vulnerable and open about your blog posts and your social media captions and sharing your story around um, Trichafta has been. I just think that's so moving, you know, and that's a piece of your life and is very unique to you. And and but people can really resonate with that who have gone through a similar situation. And you do such a beautiful job of bringing people into that, sharing your experience in a way that helps me. And other people understand it. And I just, I think, yeah, it's real. It's a real skill. Not everyone has that. Thanks. You know, I want to think too that like one of the things that brought us together as friends is um, like our backgrounds, which are very different. But part of what drew us together, I like to think, is like the the tough things that we went through. And I remember actually I learned about your brother's passing um, from your Instagram before we like knew each other very well. And I, I, I've never lost somebody close to me, actually, not even a grandparent. And um, so I just generally don't know how to approach those things because I've never experienced it. Um, the closest thing was probably when I thought I was going to lose my brother when he had his uh, his liver transplant, um, but he's fine now. <laughs> I should make, mm, make that clear, but God. yeah, he's yeah he's he's healthy. Um, but I remember being like very nervous to like 
bring that up with you and be like, hey, you know, I I read your post about your um, your brother passing and, you know, I wanted to know more, but I didn't know how to approach that. Um, but I do think like that you had gone through difficult that difficulty um, in like your early 20s, right? Mm-hmm. Like kind yeah. of drew me to you a little bit. Do you want to talk about your brother at all? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thomas. So he passed away unexpectedly from a heroin overdose when he was 20. He'd been, he was in the military. They went overseas. He was stationed in Afghanistan, got exposed to opioids, opiates, heroin while he was over there, came back and was dead within two months. It happened so fast. And um, it was absolutely gut-wrenching because Thomas and I were super close. Yeah. Um, like he growing up, we, we were only, we were two and a half years apart and he was like my best friend. Like we all, our friends in high school knew that like, you know, I would, I would go to parties and I'd like have my little, my little brother with me because he was freaking awesome. <laughs> like everyone loved him. He was so funny, so smart, so handsome. I remember when he like grew, grew up a little bit and like became mm-hmm. handsome. Cause you know, he's like a little boy for mm-hmm. a long time. And then, in high school, I remember he got a job at Hollister. I was just thinking about this the other day. <laughs> and I encouraged him to to grow his hair out. And he had this really cool, you know, kind of like wavy surfer hair. And all of a sudden he was like cute. And like all the girls were like interested in him. <laughs> I just love, I love looking back on that and just remembering him, you know, yeah. when he was in that prime and, and glad that he had that, that those years. Um, and, but no, I mean, there's like, I think when you experience real grief like that, like, I mean, you're just never the same um definitely not and it changes you on a really really like cellular level for yeah. sure mm-hmm. and I think you can kind of recognize that and you can see that a little bit in other people you know and when you feel like you've both had some heavy shit you know you're not shit. yeah yeah mm-hmm. were you you know knowing him and being so close to him were you surprised that that happened to him that he he I guess, became addicted to heroin? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, it's weird. Like in a way, yes. And in a way, no, he had a kind of an addictive personality. Like, so for example, you know, Halloween would come and he would like hoard candy and like eat it all the time and like have to have more. And like, you know, he'd kind of had, he did have those like addictive personality traits. Uh And I also knew on another hand that he loved to party. I mean, he and I, you know, mm. we smoked weed together. We would go out, we'd drink, we'd party together. You know, he like definitely likes to have a good time. But I always was able to really draw a line between, you know, what is like a weekend thing and, mm-hmm. and what is it that you need to stay away from? And to me, that was always, there was really, it was very clear and distinct to me. Like you just don't touch that. That's, yeah. that's a toxin. That's Russian roulette really is really all it is. And uh, he just didn't seem to get that distinction, I guess, at first. And, um, and then very quickly, I think he just became addicted. Um, and it just all happened so quickly. And so, and he, and he, um, tried to hide it from us. We learned about it and then tried to hide it. I don't know if he was ashamed or if he just was struggling to quit, um, or, you know, what exactly, but I'm, I'm so grateful just like, um, three days before he passed, he called me just to catch up. And I remember I was mm. going up to KU and I had a big test and I was headed to the library. I really needed to study. And instead I said, you know, screw it. I haven't talked to you in a minute. And I just sat outside mm. at um, 
Watkins Library. I'll never look at Watkins Library and not think of this. And I just sat on a bench and talked for like an hour and a half. And we had the best conversation. Um, we wanted to move to Oregon together. You know, we just, life was good. Things were good. And um, and I'm just so grateful we had, uh, had that conversation. You know, that's the last time we talked. Oh, man. I am so glad that you had that too. I feel like so many times stories like that are of regret that somebody was like, you know what? I put my test before talking to my loved one and then this happened and I never got to talk to them again. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you guys got that conversation. Me too. Well, thank you for sharing that, Hannah. I know that wasn't easy. Yeah, thank you. You know, okay. actually, one thing I will say coming out of that too is um, it completely shifted how I look at addicts. I think growing yes. up, I always really saw a drug addict. I put them in the same category as like criminals and thieves yeah. and bad guys, yes. and drug addicts. You know, these are like bad people. And um, seeing him go through that, he was one of the one of the best people I ever knew. Like, yeah. but I'm you know very much so. And I'm not just saying that in retrospect. Like anyone in my family. You know, for, one of the stories we love talking about Thomas was that, so growing up, everyone, any, anytime it was our birthday, my grandparents would give us kids a little bit of money to go shopping and pick out a gift. And all, anytime I got the money, I was like, I'm getting this, like, this is all going for me. I'd be <laughs> like, the same way. Like, extra 10 bucks, like, yeah. can I get more? You know, like, let's see, how can I like really get the most out of this? Yeah. And, and so, but Thomas would get this money and he, he would put spend half of it on himself and then he would pick out gifts for me or my mom or my older brother and he would bring home things for all of us and he was like a little kid when we're talking like five six seven eight you know i mean that's just an innate level of of kindness and thoughtfulness and sensitivity Mm -hmm. that he was born in born with and that's not a bad person that's not a criminal no that's a a good person who developed an addiction and um so, you know, really changed my perspective on, on on drug addiction in general, for sure. So two things on that. One thing, it's funny, these stories that you're telling about your brother remind me of my sister. She was the same way as a little kid. And you and I really? were the same way. I would have totally been like, <laughs> okay, no, how much stuff can I get for this, you know, $100 yeah. or whatever? And she would have done something like that. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is it, it makes me think of the book... Um, the love songs of Webb Dubois. I feel like I probably didn't say that right. Is it Dubois? Webb Dubois? D-U-B-O-I-S. And I'll speak French. Oh, I don't know. Okay. So it's a really good book. It's huge. It's like maybe 600 pages, but um, I won't get into the whole thing, but they, uh, the main character develops, one of the main characters d- develops a, not heroin, I think it's a, a crack addiction and ends up dying. And it just paints the picture so like tragically beautifully you know it's beautiful but it's also it's so tragic but you know I I would recommend it to anybody who maybe has feelings like that about addicts that they are like equivalent to criminals or like bad people um, because it really just like gives you a very intimate picture of what addiction is really like and it's horrible and like nobody would choose Mm -hmm. to have their life turn out that way you know it's not no no, no, and, no. And they're not doing it to hurt anybody else either. It's a disease, you it's know, disease, just yeah. you know, like anything else. Um, I really, and, and there's been so much more drug addiction. It's become so much more of an issue in the past yeah. 
few years with fentanyl. I mean, I really hope that we as a country work on really concentrate on developing ways that we can support yeah. uh, folks and families who are going through that. Yeah. I think it starts with seeing them as people, you know, I think, mm-hmm. the, I think too often, like as a, I don't know, culture, I guess we dismiss people with addiction and, you know, say, oh, they're never going to change. Or yeah. like it's, they don't want to change or whatever. And, and just kind of like dismiss them. So I think it very much starts with seeing them as people who have a disease and not, you know, like bad people are people to be feared or whatever. So for sure. I did. Yeah. I definitely grew up thinking the drug addicts were bad people. Like no doubt. Yeah. I have, I remember purely thinking like very clearly thinking that that was, you know, there was something wrong with them. They were like morally corrupt, yes. you know? I mean, I just really, I don't know, you know, I didn't, didn't think it and they're not. They're, they're not. People. Yep. They're people. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was really vulnerable and special. So um, like we've mentioned, Hannah owns um, her own business, actually like one and a half businesses. (laughs) She's she's the founder of Herbal Content Cottage. She is co-founder with her husband, Jake, um, of Meadowroot. To start, what are some of your favorite things about working for yourself? I am like naturally a very motivated and hardworking person. So I don't really need people managing me or or trying to, you know, corral me. And I find that I found that a little, um, like I I chafed under that a little bit. So I really like the freedom and the flexibility of being able to find what I work on based on, you know, what I know is a priority and what I, what I want to see in my business. Working remotely, working from home was the biggest motivating factor for me way before COVID, like 10 years ago, I used to go into the office and be like, I could do this from home. <laughs> like, there's the internet. <laughs> I don't need to be ahead here. Of the game. Yeah. I just love, I really like working from home. Um, I've kind of come out the other end of it a little bit after COVID where I'm kind of like, okay, I could use a little bit more social interaction, probably a reason to get dressed and like leave my house every once in a while. But um, I really, really like being at home in general and being able, I, I just think life's you know, a lot easier. You're not stressing out trying to run out the door first thing in the morning and pack a lunch and get dressed. And, you know, if I need a break, I can just go do some laundry. And then five o'clock comes and my chores are already done because I've been here all day. You know, it's just it just makes life easier. I go like up and down with working from home. Like sometimes I'm like that and I just love everything about it. I'm like, this is so great. This is so convenient. And then other times I'm like, what am I doing? Why do I keep ending up in these remote jobs? Like I need something else. (laughs) Um, But generally, I come back to like it being okay. What's one of the biggest things that challenges you in um, being an entrepreneur? I think when you run your own business, you have to do so many different things. It's like crazy. You have to be, you know, the accountant, you have to do sales calls, you have to do all your own. There's marketing, there's social media, there's all the client work, photography, copywriting, like there's so many different hats to wear. And on one hand of that, I really like it. I like learning new things and challenging myself and getting to do that. But sometimes it can be um, just a little overwhelming, you know? So that's that's definitely, I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, it's just how many things you have to figure out, especially in the early days of starting your business. Yeah. You know, I remember being like, I don't even know how to send invoices to people. <laughs> like, how do I make them pay? How do I get them to pay for this? You know, like, I don't know anything. <laughs> Not doing the shit There's for free. so much to figure out. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Actually, another huge one for me that I'm 
not great at and I'm actively working on is work-life balance. I think when you own your own business, there's always something that needs to be done. And then when you work at home, your office is your house. And so you're always kind of at your office. And so it's really has been challenging for me over the years. I think I have tiptoed into burnout um, with my lifestyle practices and I'm having to really um, hold a lot of awareness around that and really be intentional about trying to, you know, call it a day at five and not work through the weekends whenever possible, hiring more people, you know, to help support that workload. Like that's been really, that's been really hard. Work-life balance is, is a big challenge. Uh, what if you were to give a piece of advice to someone who's thinking about striking out on their own and um, maybe starting their own thing? What what advice would you give? I what, So when I first started doing it, I kept my full-time job and took on freelance clients on the side and kind of built that up so that by the time I let my full-time job go, I knew that I had enough income coming in with regular recurring clients where I wasn't like unemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was going to have some money coming in and, um, it was, it was really hard in that year to be working a full-time job and a part-time job on the side. It was, it was exhausting. Um, but you know, I think if you're really passionate about what you're trying to get up and running, building it up like that, while you know, cause you know, you probably still need to pay your bills <laughs> unless you're just like in some super awesome situation where, you know, mm-hmm. then cool, you know, quit your job <laughs> and go for, you. for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that, I, I felt like that was really helpful. And it also took some of the pressure off. You know, if you just yes. quit your job one day and you're like, I'm going to, be- I'm going to become this other, you know, career, I'm going to build this. It does not happen overnight. And yeah, take some of the pressure off of being like, okay, this this has to be successful within two months or else I go back to my work. You know, yeah. like that's too, that's hard. And like, so from my own experience, several years ago, I was doing some wedding photography and I considered at one point, you know, going full-time with photography and uh, never quit my, you know, nine to five, um, but considered it and ultimately decided to stay and not go full-time with photography because I just... Something about wedding photography, I just knew it wasn't me. Like it wasn't my um, like passion, and it wasn't something. I just, I just knew, you know, this is fine for me to do on the side, but it's not what I would want to do full time. So, you know, and there were times where I considered, like, okay, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm just going to make this thing work. And I'm so glad that I didn't. So, I think it's um, really good advice to like kind of dip your toe in and not go jump off the deep end and then have to do damage control. <laughs> Yeah, 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 totally. I, I I think that's so cool that you listen to your instincts on that one too, because I think that, you know, everything's different. But for me, in my experience, starting this business has been the, the, the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, the amount of energy that has gone into it, I think if you're not super passionate about it, if you're if you're not like 100% dedicated, this is what I'm going to do. If you're not willing to put in some late nights and work in the weekends and basically just work your ass off for a little while, then, you know, I think really ask yourself, you know, yeah, am I do I am I willing to to put in what it takes to kind of get something like this up and going. And yeah. every business is different. Some some may not be so hard to get off the ground. Maybe you thought you invented some genius product and you're going to be a millionaire tomorrow. Like, awesome. <laughs> That's also great. good for you. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, love it. Uh, sh- tell me your secret next time. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. So on nurturing and pursuing a dream. So what comes to mind for me when I think about this topic is the conversation that we had um, at Gaslight Gardens. Um, Oh, God. Probably. It was probably fall 2021. Was it fall? I don't know. Okay. I'm not even going to try to like guess on what the time frame was, but um, you and I had gone to dinner at um, either Mass Street Fish House or 715, both on Mass Street, and then decided to stay out a little bit longer. And we went for some drinks. I think maybe we only went to Gaslight Gardens. And then we sat outside and we were like one of the few ones there it was like a Wednesday night or something. Um, but I don't know about you, but I was a little tipsy. And yeah, I, we were just like sure. spilling our guts about like what our dreams were. And um, we both have like a dream to one day write a book, each of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, I think it's sort of interesting because we're we're definitely we're on two different like career paths like you know kind of sort of like parallel to each other in some respects but you're much farther ahead like in doing your own thing and I'm kind of like I want to try this I want to try that I want to try this I want to try that um and you're like very focused but so I find it interesting well I should back up and say first um we both have an inclination towards like reading and writing you know, we're not really like mathy, sciencey people necessarily. We believe in science. No, I can barely leave a tip. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, not good. No. <laughs> like my math skills. You know, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so both more inclined towards like reading and writing, and um, I think for both of us, like reading and writing were something that we really cherished in childhood too. So I think there's kind of that like feels like a core part of us. Um, Mm -hmm. We had that conversation that night about like, you know, and I don't think I'd ever told anybody that actually, that I want to write a book one day. So anyway, I'm just curious your thoughts on on pursuing a dream like that, that you kind of like have and you're holding on to it, but it's not really out there yet. I have this fantasy that, okay, so I have really vivid dreams. Like, Sometimes I'll wake up from a dream and I'll be like, that's like, that could be a whole book. Like that's a whole story right there. And I have this fantasy that some night I'm going to have the world's most epic dream. And it's basically <laughs> like the, the perfect book. And at that point, I'm going to be like, guys, I have to go get, I'm going to go get a cabin yes. in Scotland. I'll yes. see you all in, like in two, two months. months. Yeah. yeah. And I'll be back. And Is that, I did just, you just like, say two months too? That's really funny. <laughs> the same fantasy. Was like, yeah. I love that. Um, so I've always thought that that would just be so cool. I'm so open. I'm so receptive to that happening. Um, you know, will it happen? I don't know. I also go back and forth on what my book would be about. Oh, yeah. um, I remember when we were talking at gas at the Gaslight Gardens, I was talking that I'd really like to book, write a book inspired by Thomas and his passing that kind of helps people understand that, you know, these addicts are real people too. And mm. because I think fiction can do such a wonderful yes. job of, you know, putting you in those shoes and seeing those characters and emotionally bringing you into a story so much better than like facts can, you know, yes. like we can sit here and say addicts are real people, but in a story you connect with them in their shoes. Yeah. yeah. So I've, thought, I've dreamed about that. I'm also like such a nerd about the books I read. Like every book I read, like I love fantasy. I read like vampire 
vampire books and witchy books. And I love really whimsical worlds where it's like the imagination just goes crazy and nothing functions the way it really does in our world here. And I think, you know, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, like all of those are just such incredible visions and like a life work that have inspired people now for, you know, I don't even know how long. It's been a hundred years, a long time. It's been a long so, time. So real quick, it's funny that you said earlier, your dad read the Hobbit to you as a kid. My dad also read The Hobbit to us as kids as oh, cool. bedtime stories, which is like so like way over our heads. But anyway, that yeah, just, it is that kind me of think more, of it when you mentioned it again. Yeah, it's like kind of a more advanced book for little kids. But here we are about years later, you know, insp- inspired by that. So there's another part of me that thinks maybe I'll like invent a world and it will be a total like mm-hmm. fantasy fairy tale uh, just purely for fun. Um so who knows? I don't know. Do you know, have you remind me what you want your book to be about? Do you go back and forth? Do you know? Well, first of all, if you were to write a book, I would be the first to buy it. Um, I think that'd be so awesome. So please follow that dream. And who knows? Maybe we can um, both have like, because I fantasize about that too. Like have, because my dreams are also very vivid, as you know. <laughs> and, um, and um so I, I fantasize about like, oh, I'm just going to have this dream. And it's like you said, it's going to be a perfect story. And I'm just going to write based on this dream. And um, also, like, I imagine like a cabin in the woods in like either a snowy or rainy setting. And it's just me. And I've got like a wood burning stove yes. and a blanket. And I'm hunched over my laptop, I guess, because it's the 21st century, like tapping out. <laughs> but anyway, so we can... um we can go get uh, twin cabins in Ireland and tap out our. Oh my god! Um, I would love that so much. <laughs> so funny! It's yes. like literally the same visualization. Um, <laughs> I have waffled between lots of different things. Um, I I've thought I feel like maybe the most realistic is writing some kind of memoir or something about like growing up with CF and just like life in general, like my life. I don't know if anyone mm-hmm. would be interested in reading that because I'm not like a famous person or anything. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. I guess non-famous people write. I would. Memoirs. But For sure. Um, yeah, definitely. So like a memoir or uh, I've also just played with the idea of creating a totally fictionalized world and writing a piece of fiction. Um, I'm more into historical fiction than fantasy. So I feel like maybe I'm a little bit more inclined towards that than creating like a completely made up world. I don't know if I have the um, like the imagination to make a completely imagined world. Yeah. But I don't know. But so also fun. I've thought about doing like something contemporary. I, as is my pattern, I'm kind of all over the place. So I don't know. Well, I, Time will tell. I think that one day if it's, yeah, if it's meant to happen, I, I think like that what's was right now, just like a an idea, like an openness would become like a burning passion. Like I think you yeah. would feel like, oh my God, I got it. I have to get it out. Yes. I've got to get this out. That would be paper. so cool to experience that to be like, oh, it's in me and it's coming out. Yes. <laughs> I know. I, I think that's so cool. Well, you know, maybe one day we'll listen back on this podcast and be like, oh my God, that's so cute. Remember the time when we were podcasting and so we both wanted to write a book and now we're both published authors on the yeah. New York Times bestsellers list. Yes, that'd be amazing. I'm putting it out there. I'm yeah. putting it out there now in the like universe. we're like super famous. They're making movies. 
<laughs> like, like your dad, like your dad, which is so cool, which we didn't even touch on that. But Isn't that amazing. No, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, his movie, his books were turned into Hallmark movies. They're like um, the A Dog Named Christmas was his first one. Um, and then A Christmas Home. And so they're like, yeah, they're Hallmark Christmas movies with dogs in them. And they're they're like based on my family. So like there's like so one of the cool. kids is named Hannah. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Yeah, I'm so proud of him. And, you know, he does a really good job of showing up every day. And he, he, you know, he wakes up and he sits down and he writes and he dedicates time to doing that. And he, you know, he's just, he's made, made it happen. So is he working on or planning to work on another book? He's kind of between things right now. He's, he's, he um, got a book deal. I hope it's like, okay, that I like share this. Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> ask, ask him and I can this. delete it if not. Yeah. Um, he just signed, he signed a contract for a children's book. So he's mm-hmm. working on his first children's book and it has a dog in it. The animals are like a consistent theme in a lot of his writing. And so that's been really fun for him, um, just to work on something a little bit more lighthearted and a shorter project. And, uh, yeah, so he's kind of branched out into that. That's so cool. I don't know if it's just because my kids are two and a half right now and we're reading a shit ton of children's books, but that's also crossed my mind. It's like, maybe a children's book would be cool, right? Um, it'd be mm-hmm. a, a completely different challenge, I think. Yes. Like it's, such, yeah. you know, um, well, and especially like depending on the age range, like the books that we're reading right now, um, there's a lot of like repetition, you know, like the one that we read every night. So I know it by heart is where's the green sheep? And so it's like, here's the red sheep, here's the blue sheep, here's the up sheep, here's the down sheep. Um, yes. So, you know, it's like more geared towards their developmental stage because like my kids right now are um, like anticipating words based on patterns, you know, so, oh. uh, so it's like perfect mm-hmm. for them. Like Winslow knows at the end of the book, um, it says turn the page quietly. Let's take a peep. Here's our green sheep fast asleep. And she loves saying like a few pages before she'd be like, mama, peep, peep. And then she like anticipates that page. So anyway, I just think it would be, it'd be an interesting challenge, but it might just be because it's in the phase that I'm in right now. No, he says it's been challenging. One thing that he's really? been struggling with is he keeps trying to give, yeah, he keeps trying to give the story like a moral kind of like, oh, the moral of the story mm-hmm. is don't do that, you know, kind of like that type of thing. And I think his publisher has been like, no, just make it just have more, just make it like silly and goofy and fun. You know, now, now we're doing, we're bouncing up and down. We're doing this, you know, right. and less like moral of the story, you know, that's yeah, kind of more like an almost an adult thing in a way. Yes. Like you don't really need like a, yeah, I feel like it, it's much more complicated with adult books, which makes sense. But um, mm-hmm. like kids aren't going to be like, okay, yeah, kids aren't like, especially young, young kids are going to be like, okay, now what was the moral of that story? Yeah. You know, yeah. they just want to know <laughs> where the freaking green sheep is. Totally. Totally. They just want to be like, peep or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hannah, what is your favorite thing about yourself? My husband, Jake, gave me a compliment recently that I, I liked and that I I think he's right. I do see this in myself. And it was that he thinks I'm, I'm I'm a very curious person. And so oftentimes in conversation, I get really curious about people and will ask a lot of questions. I think that also is like my journalism background. Mm. Like I want to dig in and learn more. And I, I like that. I like being a curious person. I think it keeps life really interesting. I oftentimes mm-hmm. like find new things I want to explore or, you know, like, 
yeah, I just new places I want to go, new skills I want to develop. Um, so I like I like being curious. I think it makes life interesting. I like that one, which is a great lead into the next question. Um, what is something that you've recently taken an interest in or like a new hobby for you? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually pretty stoked about this. I've been really curious about interior design lately. But as you know, we just bought a new house like about six months ago. So we've been decorating it. And um, there's definitely been stuff where, you know, I'll get like the furniture in place. And then I'm kind of like, okay, just needs a little bit something extra. But like, how do you make it really, you know, have that vibe? So I've been like nerding out about lamps. I've been on this like lamp obsession lately. I just keep buying lamps because they, I read in this interior design blog that you're supposed to have like four or five lamps per room oh my God. and not use, yeah, like not use overhead oh, light so much. Because yeah. it's and cozy. Really have like yeah, it's cozy. And I can't believe the difference that it has made in these rooms where I've brought in extra lamps and set them around and had fun with it. So um, now you're going to have me looking around my house like, where can I stick an extra lamp? Yes, like where can you put a lamp? Don't use your overhead light and make really, really cozy lighting. And I think why I part of why it's also really gratifying and fun is because then you get to live in it and you get to experience it at your house all day. Mm, and a lot of those interior home. design Yes, exactly. Yep. And then a lot of those interior design principles, which I think you and I have chatted about, mm -hmm. then also apply into photography and like creating a scene mm. and how you style it. So it's all kind of connected in a way. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I, I would I would really like to take a class and learn more about interior design. I think that'd be fun. What's something that you appreciate in other people? I really appreciate people who are like down to earth. Um, I'm turned off by people who are like pretentious, like kind of snobby people who who just act like they're judging you or looking down on you. Like, yeah, I don't I don't like that. I don't I don't have that mindset where people. Yeah. I hope I don't. I hope I don't come off that way. Um, and I don't appreciate it when when other people do. And, I, you know, I think kind of pulling back to what we talked about earlier, there's a difference. Sometimes people are shy and uncomfortable. Mm. And that's one thing. And I'm very open to, you know, giving people multiple chances to see if that's the case. Other times people are pretentious mm. and, and mm. kind of judgy. And I don't I don't have patience for that. Um, I think I've been around enough mean girls in my life mm. where I know that I am just that's not me. I don't want to feed Ain't nobody that. got time I don't for that. To, I don't got mm -mm. time for that. I'm not nobody got time for that. Mm -mm. No. no. <laughs> that and um, for me, like gossiping, which I used to be a big gossiper. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was just like a language that I knew how to speak. But now I think it's like the most unattractive thing ever. And it annoys me. I'm like, find something yeah, better to talk about. <laughs> right? Well, and it makes you paranoid. Like, oh, wait, if you're every time you yes. see you, you're gossiping about people you're probably gossiping about me when i'm not around oh yeah and then it makes me not want to trust them yeah it's not a For good sure. it's not a it's good toxic trait. it's toxic um mm -hmm. what are you really grateful for right now well um we're in miami right now my Ooh. husband jake has had that trip and so i'm like so grateful for sunshine i can't even yes. tell you it's like we just had the spring equinox it's what it's like march late march right now I feel like spring is emerging. We're coming out of winter and the sun just feels so good. I'm really grateful for this warming, warming up. Okay. Three more questions. I think they're good ones. First one, what makes you feel old? Like what makes you think like, <laughs> okay. oh my God, am I that old? 
Um, there's okay, so I'm 34. I turned 35 this summer, and I think I'm at that age where like a lot of little things like that are starting to <laughs> pop up, like changes in my body. Um, I am like I've noticed that I am getting gray, a little bit of gray hairs, like in the in the front of my. They're all in the same place, like right in the, on the side of my head. And at first I was plucking them. And now I'm like actually starting to think that that wives tale where like if you pluck one, two grow back in the same place. Like, is that true? Because I kind of think it might be. Well, okay. <laughs> so if they're all growing in the same place, maybe you could have like a sick, like gray stripe right here. That might be kind of cool. Yes. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like like Bonnie Raitt, the country star has has that yeah. strip. Um, so I could play with that. I'm open to that idea, but that's been making me feel old when I look in the, in the mirror. And then also I can just tell that my body is not like as, you know, it's just not bouncing back (laughs) as well as it used to. Yeah. Like I, you know, I get, I drink, you know, I, if I drink, I feel shittier in the day, in the morning than I used to. You inspired me to start going to orange theory and Morgan, after my first few sessions, I was so sore i couldn't go back for a full week i could barely walk for a full week yeah and that never used to happen to me it used to be if i got sore it was for a day maybe mm-hmm. two and then i was fine so my recovery time has just really changed in the past few years and it's yeah just, yeah you know is the 30s is, i guess the 30s are like beautiful in a lot of ways i think um but that is definitely something that it feels like the second I turned 30, my body was just like, ah, you're fucked. Like <laughs> <laughs> energy. I'm like tired. Things are changing. 30. I'm like, oh, yeah. You yeah. know what though? Going back into what we were talking about earlier with around grief and, and losing someone young, though, what that has really taught me and what I really try to keep a mentality of is that aging is a privilege. Mm, and yes. you know, I'm really trying to keep that mindset of, you know, okay, what? So I've got, so I've got gray hair. It means I'm here. I'm alive. Good. You know, those wrinkles on my face are because I smile a lot and I love people and that, you know, like all I'm really trying to keep that mindset. <laughs> Anytime yeah. I start getting upset. I feel that. What is something that people often get wrong about you? I think that people, so I am like a super like bubbly person. Um, like I'm really bubbly and oftentimes I will just, I'm like really, you know, I'm I'm positive, I'm optimistic. I'm just kind of, you know, just like a, like a really bubbly person. And I think sometimes people see that bubbliness and they think that maybe there's not a lot of depth behind me or that I'm just, uh, you know, just like this person who's just like vapid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I worry. I, I guess I, I should maybe I should say I worry about more than I've experienced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I've never had someone be like, "Oh, you're bubbly, you're stupid." But I <laughs> worry sometimes that people will mistake my bubbliness for vapidness, and and I hope they don't. I hope people take the time to realize, like, oh, she's just really positive and a happy person. <laughs> yeah. I worry that the people think I'm vapid, um, but not necessarily because I'm overly bubbly. Um. I think honestly, it's like this sounds so cliche and stupid, but like because I'm blonde, I don't know. I feel oh, like, really? You think yeah, you- and and just because I look like I've always looked younger than I am, so I yeah, I think people and I, like you, like no one's ever like said, oh, I think you're really vapid or stupid, but mm-hmm. I think I don't know. I just have this feeling that that's people's first assumption. I don't know why. It's not uh, funny that we both I know yeah, like, worry about for different that. reasons. I know a lot of people worry. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and I think it's being a woman too. I think sometimes I feel like men think that about me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's yeah because I'm a, partially because I'm a woman. I don't know. Um, okay. Last question. If you could have dinner with anybody alive or dead, who would it be? Like uh, my brother, for sure. Oh, like, does that count? Yeah, <laughs> that's not a celebrity person, but yeah. Oh my god, I would give, I would give anything to have to have a meal with him. Definitely. Okay, Hannah. Thank you. Just, yes, thank you I for having you me. Fun. I had a lot of fun asking you questions and just chatting with you. It feels like one of our Friday catch-ups. Heck yes. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.